My friends, the great experiment. Down on the Lord Dex. Dex. Hidden. Trink. Trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink. Trink. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trink. Trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. That sounded like a, a spooky new. <laughs> new. Hell yeah. Ooh. Uh, we met somebody on, on tour. This very rarely happens that we hear it this way, but somebody came through one of our meet and greet lines that said, uh, yeah, love Greatest Trek. Uh, you know, like I'm going to get to Greatest Gen eventually. About that. Yeah. Chaotic choice. Yeah, I love it. They didn't know a lot of the references that we've carried over from Greatest Gen <laughs> to Greatest Trek, and they were looking forward to finding out. Yeah. There's some, you know, reverse pollination now where there's some stuff that's from Greatest Trek that's making its way into Greatest Gen. I made some assumptions, Ben. I thought Greatest Trek would be impenetrable mm-hmm. to anyone who hadn't started with Greatest Gen. Yeah. Well, you know what happens when you assume. Yeah, you you can't penetrate either show. Speaking of penetration, I feel like we have a public apology to issue here. Oh, how so? Tawny Newsom <laughs> took great umbrage with our reading of fan pornography of her character on the show. Oh, I took that as a joke. <laughs> you, you thought she was being serious? No, I think she was having a fun sense of humor about it. But yeah, it was fun to receive that message. Uh, <laughs> just trying to innocently listen to a Star Trek podcast, and she has to hear that. Well, I wouldn't want Tawny to be scandalized by what she heard. So I thought maybe what we could do like for Tawny, mm-hmm. like as a gift, <laughs> is maybe read some more slash fic, but, but maybe make sure that it doesn't include her beloved character of Beckett Mariner. Maybe if we That would be nice. If we spread the sexy around a little bit, she might feel a little bit better about the comedy stylings of you and me and the sexual targets mm-hmm. of the slash fiction community. What people want when they get the ick is to be forced to think about their coworkers in sexually compromising circumstances. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about new? I mean if if one is going to go through it, they all should go through it. Yeah. And Ben, I found something quite titillating <laughs> okay. in the slash fiction community. Okay. Something that I'm positive would not offend the sensibilities of anyone, of any friend of DeSoto, whether or not they are a big, big star in the Star Trek universe or not. Okay. I found slash fiction involving Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. <laughs> and the whales of the cetacean department. Oh, no, Dr. Katz is cheating on Shaxx? Not really. Here's what I've gathered through probably more research than I really should have done. Uh It's like, I think the goal of a lot of slash fiction authors is word count. Mm -hmm. Like, the descriptions are so flowery. The the run-up is so long that by the time you get to the sexy stuff... You're just exhausted already. And this is what happened to me when I found this story about Dr. Katz and the whales. Well, yes. And a lot of people that are of the slash fiction persuasion are also the kind of people that 
look forward to and require foreplay as a big part of their sexual experience. Well, like most times, I'm skipping the foreplay in <laughs> in the reading of this slash fiction and instead just summarizing it to say that this is a story about Dr. Katz trying to get over her fear of water uh-huh. in order to become closer with Shax. Uh-huh. And so she's been doing regular sessions with Matt and Kamalu okay. in order to, to get over this fear. That's really sweet. And on this session, something sexy happens. So I'm going to cut to the moment when things start to uh, become aroused. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the scene is Cetacean Ops Department. The characters are Matt Kamalu, Dr. Katz. Ben, have you lowered the lights over there? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just working the rheostat right now. I'm, hey, is it cool if I light a candle or two? Yeah, I think you should. Okay. Oh, I'm going to light my, uh, my Beverly Crusher sex candle. That's the right candle, all right. It'll bring the ghost. Okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the needle on this record player, and I'll begin the reading. The Cajun's claws pressed against the beluga's thick, blubbery flesh. <laughs> she let slip a frantic, guttural yowl that the universal translator couldn't handle, but Matt and Kamalu alike had heard that sound enough to know what it was. A name, a Bajoran name, translated to Cajun, which neither beluga could understand nor wish to pry about. After all, Shax was very private about his given name. And if Tiana wanted to keep that secret so badly that even on the approach to orgasmic rapture, she would not betray it in a tongue that anyone else could understand, they were determined to respect that. Besides, whatever it meant, it was in itself a beautiful sound. A sound synonymous with pleasure. Mm. And one that they had only ever heard from Tiana when she was with them, like this. Floating in the water and thinking of the day when it could be herself and Shax spending moments like this, not just walking or floating alongside their fear, but writhing, screaming, <laughs> fucking furiously and freely with it. <laughs> on and on this goes, like this. <laughs> but I want to hop back into a part of it that uh, I thought I'd read everything, Ben. I thought I'd read it all. Mm-hmm. But I got to read you this passage because it really did make me blush. (laughs) Okay. And then I'm going to stop. People are like listening to this on their way to work in the morning. (laughs) Hold on, let me find it. But please, read me the part that made you blush. So part of this training is like the whales taking Dr. Katz under the water, you know, Mm. for breath play. This uh, (laughs) This is a part of this stories through line and uh here's where we pick up that moment for 20 seconds there was near total silence in the room aside from the gentle splash of water against the pool's rim (laughs) till finally with an almighty splash not one not two but three bodies broke the water's surface Ta'ana was screaming she trembled between the two bodies surrounding her between the belugas whose bodies were oriented vertically against hers, and whose prehensile, pointed erections were both probing between her legs, dipping in and out of her one at a time, one thrust apiece, before giving their husband the next opportunity. 
That's where I'm going to stop, Ben. Matt and Kamalu are married? Yeah, evidently in this story, Matt and Kamalu are uh, a married couple. Wow. Teaching Dr. Katz to get over her fear of water. (laughs) Using their two whale boners. Yeah. Dick dipping in tandem. Yeah. Amazing that this exists. Yeah, wow. I hope Tony Newsom enjoyed this reading better than the last. This is a truly wild swing of Ben and Adam attempting to broadcast to one person. Yeah, just trying to make it right with Tony Newsom. We think she's great, and uh, hopefully, we're huge fans. Less scandalized she will feel after this. Uh, there's a lot. <laughs> God, there's a lot more where this came from. Like just a disturbing amount of slash fiction out there about new Star Trek. Maybe we'll make it a regular thing. Who knows? Adam, I need to uh, calm myself down by looking at some pictures of pregnant Sonic. Mm. But when we come back, do you want to review season four, episode eight of Star Trek Lower Decks? Yeah, Ben, uh, let's alternately go in and out of this episode title, Caves. Caves. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Ben, the cold open finds the Cerritos in orbit of the Gratinus, which is a planet that has continental shelves oriented in such a way where there's like a cheese and cream sauce Mm -hmm. between them. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) A lot of Gruyere in the crust of this planet. It's a great side for a main planet. Mm. Yeah. I like to orient the plate tectonics so that the, uh, the scalloped plates are vertical. It's called a Hasselbeck uh, gratinous planet. You know what, man? It's almost gratinous season. It is. Yeah, we're getting there. I haven't had one of those in ages. Oh, boy. That is, that is such a treat. Time to bust out the revereware. <laughs> Time to make a casserole. Yeah, baby. I keep losing my casserole dishes. That's the trouble with casserole dishes. You take them over places. You, yep. you never finish the casserole. I know there's someone in my life who held on to a casserole dish in that same kind of circumstance and did not think to return it, didn't want to return it. Yeah. It's one of my friends. Is it me? I don't think so. I hope not. I don't think I have a casserole dish at, at present. So yeah. if it was me, I've paid it forward. <laughs> yeah. It's outrageous. Well, we're in the transporter room at the beginning of this. Mariner is surprised to find Boynes in there loading stuff into a uh, a bit of luggage. And uh, this is how these two realize that they're going to be going on an away mission to get these. Ah, it's a double mission. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. With both characters? It's been a while since they've gone on an adventure together. And then the doors open, and Rutherford and Tendy are there. Oh, man. It's a quadruple mission all the way across the transporter room. Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! Is Tendi the only one that got any prior information about what they would be doing on this mission? I would hate the idea of rolling into a mission cold, like so many of them are comfortable with. You're just expected to be in the transporter room in 20 minutes? Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess the comparison is like getting a call sheet with just a time to show up. Yeah. Bring your gear. Time and a place and uh, the, the closest hospital 
Yeah. That's the only information you've got. The weather report for the day and the closest parking. <laughs> I love Mariner's sustained yell through the transporter beam. She finds out that this is a cave mission and is yelling about how much she hates caves through the transport. I hate caves! It's great. I mean, mid-transport, does anyone hear you scream? Mm. You gotta believe that you're, like, in the same annular confinement. Yeah. Much like the two whales are in the same cave. Like, all four transport beams are in the same beam, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about, like, the air coming out of her mouth as she yells about how much she hates caves. Like, some of that air is, like, traveling outside of the annular confinement beam as it transports. Yeah. I mean, there's a little, like, Doppler effect that they did, but I I was like, it it probably sounds weirder than that, you know? It's got to. It's such a short scene that we have so many questions about. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're in the caves talking about how Star Trek caves are all basically the same. It's not long before somebody bumps into something and they're all covered in rubble. And uh, a bright line is drawn under what a drag it is to go on a cave mission. I never really approached cave episodes in this way. Mm. It was unusual to hear Mariner hated them so. Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's hurry it up. Nothing good ever comes from a cave mission. Mariner, like, really yucks everyone's yum because she's the only one that doesn't dig a cave experience. Like, even Boimler's down. When we come back from theme, they, like, are turning on the the lights on... uh, Rutherford's headgear and trying to communicate with the ship. Comms are not penetrating the thick rock of this cave, which doesn't make sense. Like you can't, you can beam through it, but you can't talk through it. Bunch of rocks always beat centuries of technological progress. I like that Rutherford's got a face light. Yeah, and I like that it turns into that like grid of scanning laser when he doesn't need the the light part anymore. Because Mariner kicks some moss. And in one way, it's the kind of problem where kicking helps because the moss all lights up and it solves their visual problem. But it also is the kind of problem that kicking makes worse because the moss starts like going for her, wants to eat her shoe. Yeah. I would not want to be shoeless in a cave. You got to figure all that gravel is going to bite into your feet. Mm, Yeah. When I was a kid, we would go away to a, a beach cottage for a couple of weeks every summer, and I would really pride myself on like getting my feet a little bit tougher by the end of the stay than the beginning because you know it was like you, you walk across the like crushed oyster shell mm-hmm. driveway enough times. It's like, yeah, this doesn't hurt as much as it did a week and a half ago. You'd be the kid setting up the the feet of strength in the driveway with the uh-huh. uh, the burning embers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Grandpa, you can walk out to your car if you do it barefoot (laughs) over the flames. I really motivated the hell out of my whole family that summer. (laughs) Motivated them to leave the family gathering? (laughs) So they're stuck in this cave, and uh, while they work the problem, Boimler starts telling uh, about a time that 
he went through being stuck in a cave with Lieutenant Levy. Levy, whoa, one of the worst guys to get stuck in a cave with. Did he go on and on about his conspiracies? Oh, yeah. This is a guy we've met before, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Lieutenant Levy's been on the show. We went on a date last year, I don't know if you recall. Yeah, Steve, I remember. You said Wolf 359 was an inside job. (laughs) It totally was. They don't like Lieutenant Levy among the Beta Squad. They especially don't like his, his weird conspiracy theories. And we kind of cut to this story that Boimler is telling of uh, being on this planet, a different Star Trek cave that has like different color tones, but is laid out exactly the same way as the one that the Betas are trapped in. And uh, he and Lieutenant Levy are, are talking and Lieutenant Levy's like a, yeah, that's what they want you to think, man, kind of guy. And he's convinced that the Vendorians are basically behind everything bad that ever happens in the galaxy. Damn it. Storm must be interfering with comms. Oh, really? You know why they don't make comms that can't be interfered with? Trust me, Vendorians are setting us up. They're shapeshifters. Sure, Levy, whatever. We need to find a way out of here. Shapeshifters are kind of the perfect main character to a conspiracy theorist, right? Sure, yeah. Because they could be anyone Mm -hmm. and anything. Lieutenant Levy must have watched a lot of Star Trek the Animated Series to get this in his head. I saw that, but I don't believe it. A Vendorian doctor. And when they get you in their tentacles, you can't break free. (laughs) Because they're shapeshifters and they could be made of anything. Even things that are strong. Playing right into their tentacles. (laughs) Yeah. It's got to be hard to do anything with a guy like Levy around. Even the winds you think you have turn into losses because when Boimler finds this ready-to-go go-kart with one seat in it that that he can use to leave to go get help, Levy can't have this. Levy destroys it with a phaser. It's such a shame to see a perfectly good golf cart destroyed in the prime of its life. I know. Boimler is so upset in this moment that he goes really hard at Levy right in his face. Really gives him a dressing down. He reads Levy like a book because, you know, like there is a psychological type that is prone to conspiracy theories. And Boimler basically puts Levy in a box and tapes it shut and ships it out. Do you know who benefits from us being stuck in this cave? Everyone, because they don't have to deal with you. Very hurtful to Levy. And right as he's kind of like taking the brunt of this emotional blow, a bunch of the stalagmites in this cave reveal themselves to have been Vendorians the whole time. They appear to be upset that these two have failed this test, and so they drag them to this punishment pit, throw them in, and at the bottom of the pit, Levy is is the sort of guy that like expects all of this. This torture pit is familiar to him as someone who studied the Vendorians, <laughs> and uh, he knows all about the torture that's going to follow. Yeah. And this kind of knowledge comes off as impressive and even flattering to the Vendorians. Yeah. Because uh, he's a subject matter expert about a species that not many people are supposed to know about. I do love all the lurking, the brood potting, the flappy arms. Wow, most people find us preachy and unsettling. It's like if you really admired Michael Flynn and then got to meet him, I guess is basically what Levy is going through. <laughs> you get invited to his giant cricket dinner. It's great. (laughs) Those crickets did look good as hell, though. Let's be honest. I love this scene because it shows how tenuous a positive feeling is about a person with this kind of worldview 
Like <laughs> for a moment, you can tolerate this type of person, but like they haven't even finished a quarter of this cricket dinner before the Vendorians are like, God, this guy sucks. <laughs> like uh, that Boimler has even achieved a position of he's fine, I guess, is like to the Vendorians a great success because their whole goal of this test was to turn enemies into friends. Yeah, and they don't love the idea that they've been accused of doing the Klingon Civil War, but they do feel like their morality gambit paid off if right. uh, if they can get Boimler and Levy to be pals. Where do you draw your morality line, though, if you're a, a Vendorian? Yeah. Like, you tricked and trapped these people, you throw them into a pit, you're eating bugs? Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe clean up your own house, Vendorians. It's no subjugating an entire planet to impress a girl you're into or whatever, but... No. Yeah, it's not a great look for the Vendorians. But their morality is not human morality, so who knows? The big takeaway here is that the Vendorians taught Boims to use Gammonite to boost his comm signals to get in touch with the Cerritos. And so he does, and they got out of there. And uh, the whole experience of being trapped there kind of helped Boimler appreciate Levy more. They got friendly enough to, like, do holiday shit together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Boy, the other three take umbrage with this. <laughs> they do not like the idea of him uh, going outside the friend group for hangs. You think they did Samuel Clemens shit together? I fucking hope not. I <laughs> I think the Vendorians would have to reevaluate their whole fucking thing if that was the case. Now, I do not know much about a jet fuel. <laughs> However, <laughs> I do declare it being clear to me... That it may not be possible to melt a steel beams or what have you. How could it melt a steel beam and yet also be used for mind control, my good sir? <laughs> Yay, you're doing it too. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it to, to negate you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tendi this whole time has been really wanting to tell her cave story, which is about being trapped in a turbo lift and keeps getting shut down. Mariner doesn't like the idea of being trapped in a turbo lift equated with being trapped in a cave. Totally different type of thing to get trapped in. Wait, sorry. So instead, Rutherford goes next. The meme is, uh, I'm a turbo lift, I'm a cave. Mm -hmm. We are not the same. (laughs) (laughs) They like hang some of Boimler's pants on uh, on the wall and reflect a phaser beam off of the ceiling to reveal some gammonite. And then Rutherford launches into his story about having a cave baby when he was on an away mission with Dr. Katz. Oh, yeah. Did I not tell you guys about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You sure did. No, you didn't tell us. Hey, uh- Cheetahs don't deserve nothing in Latinum. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. 
Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. Ben, you were talking about the, the type of travel pants that you could shoot a pickled beet at the crotch of. 
Right. And there would not be uh, any staining. You know, you get advertised these pants all the time if you're uh, if you're a business traveler or whatever, the way we are. Mm-hmm. You know, the the sort of pants that look like pants on the outside, but are like made of a technical material. Yeah. Boimler's pants are these. It's Peter Doe's collabo with Banana Republic. And uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> they can really take a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Except for they do vaporize in the process. <laughs> I don't think many pairs of pants could take a phaser blast directly or indirectly as these do. Yeah. They're great. Would you be able to take off your pants for a mission priority at any point? Like, let's just say you're out in the world. Mm-hmm. You got to take off your pants. Would you be okay with that? Like, would you have to tie something around yourself? What, do you have embarrassing underwears? Do you have no underwears? I think I have cute underwear. This is a, a thing that I thought Boimler would would lean into in some kind of way. It, it, this seems to be like standard issue action underwear yeah. he's wearing, you know? When I was in my 20s, uh, some gay friends invited me to a club they were going to, and it was a pants-optional affair. <laughs> and I didn't go pants-optional because I didn't want to give anyone the wrong idea. Ben, don't go so fast. I got questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I did take notes about all of the different underpants that the uh, the handsome young gentlemen in this club were wearing. Is there a pants check? There was coat check and pants check, two different windows where do you keep your wallet and phone (laughs) well the thing is you're probably not gonna need those things uh you know to pay for drinks or whatever when uh, you're walking around in your undie pants are you suggesting no one is drinking at this club like there's got to be the sale of beverages and so forth yeah no i think people are getting drinks bought for them based on the strength of of their look not everyone is going pantsless it's not compulsory pantsless so there's an economy in the pantsless gay club that goes like, were you to not wear pants, those that are wearing pants are encouraged or obligated to buy drinks for those without? Is that what you're saying? I would say not encouraged or obligated, enthusiastically interested in. <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned the enthusiasm of the pants. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Rutherford's story begins with the setup that Billups had some porgy and swamp rash and they had to get some plant from this cave. Can't replicate molecular fungocytes and they're the only thing that cures swamp rash. The ferns are just under the surface of the water. Uh, Doc, I'm picking up some strange vibrations. Maybe we should get out of this cave? No, no need to worry. How do you get swamp rash from a porgy, Ben? I don't know, man. Rub one up against your birdie? Yeah, probably. Those are those little, like, cat owl guys from uh, from Star Wars, right? I know. It's the crossover everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, they're on this uh, this planet, Balkus 9, in the Star Trek caves, where it looks like the locals maybe are the people responsible for those tricorders with the cool purple stripe. Ooh, those are nice. Oh! Yeah, I could see that. Just based on this lady's look. They seem great. This team of three, yeah. they're just going to grab these plants out of this pool water. Not a big deal. The, no one's seen the Graflax regenerations. Many people consider it like a cryptid. Like, it probably doesn't even exist, man. Yeah, it's like the, the Mandalorian monster in the bottom of that pool. Sure. It's real. The one monster from the Mandalorian. It's so pissed off. 
it tosses this lady and she flies through the air and lands on a stalagmite. Like it impales her in her belly. Ouch. She's like shuffling loose this mortal coil. Oh, I am dying. She transfers her base mind into Rutherford and then like he suddenly has a baby bump. He pops right then and there. She doesn't have to touch all skin though. And I think that's an important detail to call out. Like her hand touches face appliance and nose and chin kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, concerned that she wouldn't achieve like the full power of whatever this thing could do. Oh, like she would have like a Borg's baby? Yeah. Rutherford? Yeah, either that or like like half of it. <laughs> <laughs> which would be gross and sad. Yeah. So Dr. Katz is sort of explaining all of this while she's prepping him for the C-section that he's going to need because he doesn't have a hole to pass this baby through. And the pregnancy goes super fast. Lie down, bite on this. What? Do you think more people or fewer people would have babies if the gestation time was like three minutes? <laughs> Oh, man, if it was like a one-night stand and you didn't realize the rubber broke and the gestation time started, you were like, no, 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 no. Run to Dwayne Reed. Get plan B now. It is so fast. (laughs) I mean, the stretch marks on Rutherford's tum-tum are going to be pretty brutal. Yeah, he he doesn't get to like oil up his belly over time, you know? No, no. So, uh... He wakes up and realizes that this was not a traumatic hallucination. He has, in fact, given birth to a little baby. Ooh, it's a little clone baby. You are. You are. <laughs> Dr. Katz has been taking care of it while he was asleep. She basically tosses the baby at him and explains how the only thing she likes less than babies is engineers. And she proposes that they work in shifts. Uh, one is going to go down tunnels and see if they can find an escape route from these Star Trek caves, and the other is going to take care of the baby, and then they'll switch off. We get a nifty passage of time here where uh, throughout this plan, Dr. Katz warms to the baby's presence here. I feel like anybody could warm to a baby's presence if they could just vaporize the diaper with a phaser. I know. Do you think you have to be a certain age before the poop gets beamed out of you? <laughs> Because that would probably make having a baby super easy. Right. You just turn that on at home. Oh, man. That would be the best. That's that's the ideal. You know, when we had the baby, like, I, I, like, started looking for, like, what in, like, archaeological terms were people doing before industrial diaper production? Because mm-hmm. we were going through, like, 20 diapers a day in the early days. And I was like, what do people do? Like, this is nuts. <laughs> The answer is nothing good. Nothing good happened before industrial diaper production. Also, industrial diaper production is probably terrible for the environment. The the gutters ran thick with baby (laughs) poop in those days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so having gotten to be much better friends with the baby. I think you're the coolest baby I've ever met. Dr. Katz and Rutherford are sort of coming to realize that uh, they may be stuck here for a long time even though she still hates engineers just as much as she ever did. And this is right when the Graflax returns. And before shooting it, Rutherford makes a universal translator like on the fly with his tricorder. And they're able to communicate with 
the Graflax about uh, what's going on. We just want to get out of this cave. Did you just talk to me? It's a big misunderstanding. Most arguments are. This thing was just trying to protect its baby. This Graflax is going to lead him to safety. It knows which hole to leave out of, and, and yeah. so they do. And that's the end of Rutherford's story. And uh, we cut back to that first cave where the moss is really starting to ooze in at all sides of the screen. There's not a lot of non-moss environment left for the betas to occupy. Rutherford is very impressed to see Mariner kind of taking lead on modifying the combat with the powdered up gammonite. It's like, how the fuck do you know how to do that? The answer, Delta Shift. She read about it in a horny story. Oh, yeah, Delta Shift. Well, I mean, you did. The greatest trick is yet to come. So we flash back to Glish, the planet where she crash landed with a, a shuttle full of ensigns. Yeah. Nice landing. Oh, you have notes on me saving our lives? I wouldn't have crashed into a cave. We lost power. Shuttles are shaped like bricks. What was I supposed to do? We're out of range. Looks like we'll be here for a while. And wouldn't you know it, they don't have comms there either. Yeah. What they do have is a third ensign with a compound fracture in his leg. And this thing is gross. Ugh. Caravitas, grab a med kit. Yeah, we've got Caravitas and Amidal who don't have disgusting leg fractures and Asif who does. And they are going to do a similar thing in this story to the A story, but with Pergium. And they see a bunch of Pergium on the other side of the identical Star Trek cave. And Mariner starts marching over to get it and goes through a bunch of chronotons. And she like kind of holds up as she walks toward it. When Mariner and Karavides get into kind of a race across the cave, it's like a potato sack race towards this Pergium where the <laughs> potato sacks are just on their faces. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the structural integrity of the potatoes is starting to really break apart because their their hips are going out, their backs are going out, they're getting all saggy and wrinkly. No amount of taking care of the shuttle will make sure uh, she always brings them home. <laughs> they're kind of arguing about like why the Deltas have been such dicks historically, and they're like, we're dicks because we resent the fact that we have to work all the same jobs and nobody cares. Like, everybody's asleep when we do all of the same fucking shit that the other ensigns do, but we have way less opportunity for advancement in Starfleet because nobody's awake when we're doing it. I never get FaceTime with the senior officers, and basically I've noticed that I'm not the main character of these stories. Our shift sucks! Everyone is asleep. That sounds great to me. What is the deal with Jellicoe's insistence on a four-shift rotation? Then, knowing one of the shifts is going to be treated this way. He doesn't care. Oh. Maybe he likes that there's, like, punishment shift. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. There had to be a reason. Because I always liked the idea of a four-shift rotation, because that means, like, six-hour shift, then you're done. You're done for the day. That's great. I'd be okay with a six-hour shift instead of an eight-hour shift. But if one of them is punishment shift, you're, you're that sucks. Work and swing isn't so bad once you get used to it, but yeah, it, it's tough. It'll start eating you alive. Yeah. 
once Mariner understands a little more what people on Delta Shift's big gripe is, she kind of softens up. I really like this about Mariner. She can hear a valid criticism, own her mistake, and apologize in a sincere way. And, and like, she has like the fastest land speed toward that of any of the characters on this show. Yeah. They're kind of making amends and talking about how to be pals going forward when uh, the idea comes up that Asif, the guy with the broken leg, is a bit of a Wesley Crusher type. He's young as hell. Really? Asif! And therefore, maybe he could make it further toward the Pergium. And they're like, Asif, you got to try for it. I love the internal logic of this idea, which is like, if you age faster, your leg is going to heal. But at the same time, if you age faster with a broken leg, it's not going to heal itself. It's not going to heal like it was treated by medicine. Right. It, it's just going to age like anything else. So the very grotesque way in which this compound fracture turns into a sort of goat leg, and then <laughs> it turns gangrenous and falls off toward the end, it is real gnarly. Ugh. Ugh. It's very upsetting. It was all for no good reason also because Amidal is up on the second level of this Star Trek cave finding some Pergium that youngs you up instead of olds you up when you approach it. Yeah, he, opposite Chronicons are up there. Mm-hmm. Who knew? And so they have to like fireman carry Asif back toward the part of the cave that's in the normal timeline and leave his stump leg behind. Would you have a problem with losing a limb and having it replaced with a limb that's just as good but you knew wasn't the original? I kind of feel this way from, uh, from what's his name, Asif? Yeah. I think if it was me, I'd be like, new limb, who this? Like, let's get the new hotness, you know? I wouldn't want to leave it. I think what I'd do is probably take off my pants and use those pants as kind of like a... You know, you, you you grab the ankle of one pant leg and you kind of whip it out there to try to like... Grappling pants? Yeah, grappling pants. You just sort of flirp it out there and, and see if you can't yank that <laughs> that stump back, right? Well, but maybe, and this is just a theory, maybe Asif isn't as chill and libertine as Boimler and he doesn't want to take off his pants in front of everybody else. Maybe he's wearing the wrong underwear. Mm. You're right. Could see that being a problem. Yeah, maybe he's wearing the granny panties because it's laundry day. Yeah. You always want to wear clean or good underwear in case you get your pants cut off in an ambulance or you have to go to a gay pantsless dance club. Exactly. <laughs> That's what my granddaddy told me. Mm-hmm. Wear clean drawers every day. <laughs> Back in the present, everyone is upset that Mariner is down with Delta Shift now. Yeah, she even chanted with them? What the fuck, Mariner? I can, I can chant with other people. Guys, don't fight. I don't know who you are anymore. The Moss has been growing at an accelerated rate, and at this point, the Moss just takes them. And yeah. little did we know that this was sentient Moss. And, and when covered and smushed up against the wall, the Moss starts talking. And this Moss has got to hear Tendi's story. Before it does whatever this moss is planning to do with them. It sat through the rest of these stories. It desires that sense of completion. I need a story from each and every one of you. Yeah. And so Tendi's flashback begins. It begins right where season one, episode one left off, which is, I thought, a really nice idea for a <laughs> construction. Like what happened as the music faded up and the screen faded down. 
shouldn't be another disaster until 15.30 at the earliest. Rutherford to Commander Billups. Are there any issues with the turbo lifts? Just hang tight. We'll add you to the list. <laughs> I'm sure they'll have it fixed in a jiffy. Did you notice any kind of TNG Season 1 to TNG Season 4 differences in lighting or uniforms or anything in this flashback? Oh. Because I think that's part of the problem with... Problem isn't the right word, but that's that's part of the effect of having four 10-episode seasons in such close proximity. Yeah. You don't get the weirdness of a flashback like this because everything more or less looks the same. Yeah, well, also I think like... TNG maybe like wasn't sure what it was as early on as Lower Decks was. Mm -hmm. So the story is basically Mariner switched all of the synthahol out for actual alcohol when they were having that party. So they're all super messed up. And the the fake cigarettes were swapped out for real cigarettes. Mm. (laughs) They're all totally wasted after their experience with the rage virus and they get in the elevator and it gets stuck and they like, you know, push that button to call for help. And Billup says like, you're on the list, not high on it though. And they're stuck in this elevator for hours and we get some kind of jumps forward in time of the different ways they're kind of trying to occupy themselves and Uh, It becomes clear eventually that they did have to pick the bad corner in the elevator, which you hate to contemplate, right? Because this is a perfectly round elevator. Yeah, you got to wonder about the the absorbency of the carpet inside this turbo lift. Our friend Abby was uh, telling us one of her many amazing touring with rock band stories while we were on the road with her, uh, one of the recent legs of the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. Get your tickets at greatestgentour.com. And she told a story about getting stuck in an elevator in like Amsterdam or somewhere in Europe for like three or four hours with an entire rock band, like enough people on the elevator that you couldn't sit down. And they had gotten to the point where they'd picked the bad corner, but nobody had had to use it yet when they finally got rescued. This is why at one of our venues on the tour, the elevator sign said no more than two people inside. I just took the stairs. (laughs) I was not willing to risk that. (laughs) Yeah. So the the upshot of this story is just that Tendi came aboard the Cerritos being really worried that she would not be accepted, would not be able to make close connections with people. And she had this very magical first day on the ship where even though she was trapped, she was trapped with people she really genuinely liked and genuinely liked her and didn't see her as a a Ryan pirate, but saw her as a person. And uh, when we cut back, like they're fully like embedded in the walls, like the people that they find in the terraforming plant in aliens, like, like they've been like gooed up against the walls. And uh, this moss is like so touched by Tendi's anecdote, even though it wasn't a cave story, that it's like, man, like friendship is, it sounds great. I've never done that before. Will you guys be my friends? And they're like, yeah, dude, for sure. If you let us go and let us scan you, we'll like keep, we'll be your friends as long as we're here. This is why torture doesn't work. Mm. These folks will say anything. <laughs> to get out of Moss? Uh, yeah, I'll be your friend. I promise. Mm. 
They're never coming back to this planet. I would go back to a, a gratinated planet. That sounds delicious. It's not Moss, though. It's the Vendorians again. And this has all been another one of their fucking tests. Yeah. How many planets are the Vendorians on anyway? They're in all these fucking caves, it seems like. Do the Vendorians not understand the concept of friendship? Vendorians, is this your idea of friendship? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Friendship is from a culture that is now alien to them, unfortunately. You like this episode, Ben? I really like this episode, Adam. I think that uh, this was a very fresh take on a thing that I think anybody that has watched any Star Trek in their life has talked about. The the caves all look the same mm-hmm. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I think basically we were just waiting for Lower Decks to get to this. But you know, I think that the thing that Lower Decks consistently does is take these kind of you know, we we call them the Star Trek caves. It's like well-trod territory for us. I think it's well-trod territory for a lot of people. And Lower Decks does a great job of having a really interesting take on how are we going to treat this thing that a lot of people have talked about, you know? And it's it's original to Lower Decks. It's not like uh, other jokes. And uh, it made me really happy to watch this one. Yeah, I like this episode too. It... Inspired a weird thought, though, which is, like, is this bottle episode the most interchangeable episode with a Prodigy ep there's ever been? Because, Mm. like, how many episodes of Prodigy have there been that, like, exist to simply celebrate how nice friendship is? Like, (laughs) that main takeaway at the end here felt, I mean, a lot of Lower Decks episodes resolve this way, like, super clean Music swells, you know, good feelings at the end. I don't feel like many, if any, (laughs) Prodigy episodes resolve like that. Prodigy is a pretty scary cartoon, I think. Yeah. And I wonder if you could play this for a a Prodigy-aged kid and if they would get it in a way that that it works for them. Like, because its message is so pure and like the only grotesque part is that compound fracture leg. I think everything else is pretty uh, fun and funny. Yeah, as far as the set pieces go, I agree. I mean, I think um, it sort of felt to me like maybe the product of a bunch of writers sitting in a writers' room noticing the way they've paired and grouped up the characters this season, how much of a departure that has been from previous seasons, and worrying that because these characters are not all now lieutenants, juniors, grades, the fans might interpret it as uh, like they, they can't work together anymore because they're off leading their own things or, or whatever. Right. I mean, I also really keep wondering like what gives with Teelan, like how she is not on the show at all anymore. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, I'm, I'd be shocked if she's not in the next two episodes, but it seems like we've been away from her for a surprisingly long time period of time well in a story like this she would kind of break the episode like i think the solutions to the problem would be so apparent to her that you wouldn't be able to get through all of the flashbacks in order to get there she would just solve it right away also she's not one of the core four i guess not i don't know if she wants to be evidently not adam who would you kick out to invite t lynn if you had to that's a trick question 
All right, I guess it'll go unanswered. I may get in trouble no matter which one I say. <laughs> I know. It was a trap question. Something that is uh, only occasionally a trap are the messages we find on the Priority One message inbox. Ben, you want to see what we have in there? Let's do it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first message here is from Chris. It's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. For everyone's enjoyment, would you please replay Ben's version of the Whisper song by the Yin Yang Twins from Strange New World Season 2, Episode 9? <laughs> hey, computer, let me whisper in your ear. Self-destruct sequence you like to hear. You got a sexy-ass body and your ass looks soft. I want to blow you up just to see if it's soft. <laughs> and Adam singing about the Gorn's hegemony, Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 10. Hey, you Gorn, Gorn's hegemony, don't you worry. Gorn's hegemony. Hey, Gorn's. Those might be the best two moments in Greatest Trek history, so I figured you two deserve some scarves. And everyone deserves to hear them again. Thanks. About that, Chris putting some coins into the uh, fun song jukebox. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard those in a while. I'm glad that uh, when he punched in B7, he actually hit B7. I hope someone's keeping track of all of the dumb songs we've ever sung on these shows. That'd be fun. Our, our buddy Chuck Bryant just put out a vinyl record of a podcast yeah. he did. What are the chances we could put our dumb songs onto a vinyl record? <laughs> a buddy of mine put out a, a record of songs where all of them were like 15, 20 second songs. Whoa. <laughs> and it's great. It's great and hilarious. And it seems like uh, if he could do it, maybe we could do. I mean, the rights management issue alone seems like it might, it'd be a real quagmire. But uh, I love the idea. I love the idea of us having a record someday. Maybe one day, Ben. Our second priority one message is from a Mississippi Riverboat pilot. It's to Ben, mostly, and Adam. Mm. There's a, a parenthetical pimp here. We'll try to get into it. Gentlemen, it is my understanding that one among your fine group does not appreciate the fine dialect of Samuel Clemens. I am shooken to the core by this rejection. I believe that West Coast Yankees such as yourselves would appreciate all sorts of wildly exaggerated impressions. With my final characters, I say, Moopsie. God damn it. I, I'm going to send this person their money back. This Mississippi riverboat pilot. This is dirty money, in my opinion. Then hating things that people like isn't uh, a substitute for a personality trait. Lots of people love it. People love Samuel Clemens impressions. How could I substitute that personality when it is my personality? You're the only person in my life that has a negative opinion about the Samuel Clemens impressions. Oh. That's it. I knew I didn't like your friends for a reason. <laughs> well, I love the FODs who fill out a Priority One message, Ben. They go to MaximumFun.org. 
slash Jumbotron. They sure do. They do it because they love hearing our impressions, and they also know that they go a long way in supporting the production of this show. It gets more expensive by the day. Jesus, yeah. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Lieutenant Levy. I think that one of the things that was particularly funny to me about Lieutenant Levy is that like, he outranks Boimler, but he's so thirsty for validation for his weird theories that there's sort of a power imbalance in the opposite direction. Like He kind of treats Boimler like somehow Boimler's acceptance of these kooky theories is going to be the thing that makes him feel good or whatever. <laughs> and uh, What did you make of the of the rank disparity between them? Because Levy is of a higher rank, yeah? He's, yeah, he's of a higher rank and considerably older, it sounds like. I mean, that's one of the ways Boimler drags him is that he's, mm-hmm. he's had the same rank for a really long time. He should know better. Yeah, but, uh, but he's convicted, man. Ben, my Edward Larkin is Mariner. I think part of the joy of watching Lower Decks is course all of the jokes the joke density but i think the jokes without dialogue also hit for me too one of those scenes is when mariner kicks the skull mm-hmm. of the moss-eaten animal like a soccer ball yeah and because the the camera composition is like whipping past that you almost barely see this detail and i feel like there's got to be so much in a show like this that you just do because it amuses you as an artist or who would be in charge of a decision like this on the animation side? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I really wonder about. And it's something that's a very rich tradition in animation. Like those those little quiet moments that you can't imagine would even be worth writing down in the script, but somehow make it to the screen. And this is one of many, many in this episode, unlike in all episodes of Lower Decks that are like that, where it's mm-hmm. like this... At some point, like they were like getting this scene up on its feet and looking at the characters and they're like, well, we're not going to just have everybody be standing still over to the right hand side of this composition. Exactly. Let's have Mariner kick that skull, you know? You make it dynamic however you can. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, whoever made that decision made a funny decision because I laughed at that too. I really wonder what kind of and how much communication occurs between Titmouse and the writers for moments like these? Like, how much latitude do you get to be creative when you're on the art side versus the story side? I mean, I would assume that it's all story pumping every single detail into this, but that would make me a little bit sad. It'd be fun if it were uh, more collaborative, but I don't know. Either way, I like details like this. I do too. Well done, team, that makes the show. Further apologies to Tony Newsome. <laughs> Tony, there's only one person apologizing, and that's Ben. I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> I'm a, I apologize enough for the two of us. <laughs> you really think you do? <laughs> well, Adam, let's wrap this episode up with uh, everybody's favorite segment on Greatest Trek. It's the Warning Boise segment, wherein we scour the internet to find the various nice things people say about us online and uh, shout them out because they're shouting us out. This really helps our show find new audiences and uh, and we just love you for that. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning, boys. 
An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Today's warning buoy is from a Instagram post by Robert Lawton. And it's a picture hmm. from our uh, our meet and greet before the DC show we just did on the uh, Share Your Embarrassment Tour. And it goes like this. You may think the best reason to listen to Greatest Trek is the dick and fart jokes. But what my theory presupposes, that it's the friends you make along the way. Seriously, though, I met a whole crew of awesome people at last year's Greatest Trek tour stop in D.C. after I shouted into the void about attending it on my own. And it was incredible to hang out again last night and share our embarrassment together. Many thanks to Ben Harrison, Adam Pranica, Wendy Pretty, and Bill Tilly for creating and connecting this awesome crew. So, sort of the opposite of what a warning was intended for. These are already fans mm. that already listen to the show, but uh, it was actually great to meet Robert and his big group of pals who all came through the meet and greet line. Oh, yeah. And shared their embarrassment with us. So, uh, thanks to everybody that posts about the show online and spreads the good slash embarrassing word. Yeah. Can't wait for next week's show. We're getting into the last couple of episodes of this season of Lower Decks, and uh, I bet we'll see some Teelin. I bet we'll find a little bit more about that tilt ship out. It's a lot going on. Hoping we get some screeners before that. We're out of screener runway mm. with this one. Yeah, I, I heard Tony Newsom told Paramount to stop hooking it up. All right, Tony, I apologize too. <laughs> Turn the screener spigot back on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to leave it with Wendy Pretty from here. Thanks so much for listening. We're out of time. Bye bye. Greatest Trek is an Oxford Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next Friday, Ben and Adam will be back to talk about Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 9. And at the end of every episode, we want to thank all the great people who make the show possible, especially the MaxFun members who support on a monthly basis. Members get access to the entire catalog of bonus content from across the network, and it's really easy to set up a membership at MaximumFun.org join. We also want to thank Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music for this show. Check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thank you to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art, and thank you to Bill Tilly for managing all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages, which you can find and follow all over the internet. You can also join FOD-run communities on Reddit at r slash greatestgen and on Discord at drunkshimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.